Well, good morning. Welcome to our online worship. And so this morning we're going to continue in our, our series in the, the book of Romans. And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, looking at that last section. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. God, we thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your word. We pray that you would be our teacher, that you would be the one that leads and guides us in all truth, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds to show us more fully who you are and what you've done for us and who we are in you. We pray this morning that as we just think about the glory of your grace and what it means for us, how we grow in that, that you'd just continue to show us that our identity is rooted and grounded in you and you alone. And we thank you that you've done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And we pray that uh, we would just continue to grow and see how this applies to every area of our life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as a kid and even now, uh, if you know me at all, you know that I'm a big basketball fan. Uh, I have been pretty much my entire life. And I've always enjoyed playing it. Uh, and being around it, coaching, all those kind of things, but also love, uh, just, uh, as a kid in particular, I loved watching the NBA. I loved hearing the kind of behind the scenes and what was going on on the court and the, uh, I loved when they would record and they would kind of show you what the players were saying, what was happening. And so I used to love to watch those things. And my favorite to watch was, uh, Larry Bird. Uh, he was kind of at the end of his career when I was in high school. But I just kind of gravitated towards him, loved watching him. And one of the things about Larry Bird, uh, he's kind of infamous for his trash talk, the way he would just give it to players on the court and the things that he would say. He would do so kind of in a lighthearted way a lot of times, but he was doing it to seek an advantage over those he played against. And so as such, as someone who did that constantly, there's a lot of great stories about Larry Bird and the way he talked to those around him. And so one of my my favorites, uh, thinking back on it, was one year he was in a three-point contest that the NBA would put on each year. And the story goes that Bird went into the locker room before the contest and the other guys that were going to be there competing against him in the shooting contest. And he walked in and he looked at all of them and said, which one of you chumps is going to be second place? And so he goes in there and tells them all that he's going to win this thing, and they go out, and they all shoot. And uh, as the story goes, it got to the very end, and and uh, Bird's the last person shooting. He's made it to the finals against another player. Another player goes first, and then Bird shoots last. And he gets to the very last shot, the last ball. You get to shoot 25 shots. He gets to his very last shot, and he's uh, he makes this shot, and he wins it. And so Bird takes the ball, shoots it. The second he lets it go, he puts his finger in the air and starts walking off the court with holding up one finger. And, of course, the ball swishes behind him, and and he wins. And so as a young man, uh, high school, uh, who lived to play basketball, who was all about it, I thought this was the greatest story ever, that he told them all what he was going to do, and then he went out there and he did it, and he followed through and he won. And so I was thinking about that, but... Why is that? Why was that so appealing? You know, this idea of boasting, of talking trash, of telling them how good you are and then backing it up. Why was that so appealing? And I think, well, at least part of it is what we've hit on several times over the last few weeks in Romans. And that's often that our our boasting is kind of pointing us to what we value the most. And, And it's doing so because it's how we're seeking to validate ourselves. And so what we boast in points to what we have our, our confidence in and where it lies. And it really gives us a window to our heart and our beliefs. And as a young man that loved to play basketball, who saw put so much time and effort into that, saw a big part of your identity in that, that's where you got a big dose of not only your identity but your self-worth, 
uh, to play well was to be good, uh, to be kind of justifying yourself. And now we all do that in different ways and we all have different areas in our life when we do that. And so when I would hear that story, it was like, yes, yes, that's the way we do that. We kind of put ourselves forward as this is what I'm good at. And so I want you just to think about this for a moment, this idea uh, of boasting. Uh, of boasting is, if we just look at the definition, is defined as being excessively proud and self-satisfied about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. Self-satisfied talk that I'm saying about what I've done and who I am and what that looks like. And when you think about it, it, it makes sense in what we're seeing in, in this book of Romans in the context of what Paul has been saying repeatedly through these first couple of chapters. And what he tells us is that none of us is righteous. And we talked about last week being righteous is, is perfectly acceptable before God, perfect in your thinking, your feeling, and your acting, and everything you do. And what Paul has said over and over is none of us is righteous. And not only is none of us righteous, we know that. And he says, whether you're a Christian and, and you read the Bible and you see the things God says about what it means to be righteous and what that looks like, or even if you don't, even if you've not grown up in a religious background, even if you've not been around those things, that your conscience, what you believe, what you hold others to around you bears witness that you've not measured up. And so what we do is we seek for ways to justify ourselves. And I think that's part of where that that boasting and that arrogance comes in. I'm seeking to justify myself by my actions and what I do because I know that I'm not perfect. And I know that I don't completely measure up. But here's the thing I want us to consider, this question that Paul asks at the end of Romans chapter 3. How does our boasting fit with our understanding of the gospel? And what he's going to say is, quite simply, it doesn't. There's no place for us to boast when we understand rightly what God has done for us in Jesus. And so this idea of boasting it is so detrimental to our walk with the Lord. And so I want us just to think about that a little bit. Boasting, arrogance, being prideful, uh, continually turning, uh, kind of putting forth your own resume, showing people how good you are. None of those things is compatible with an understanding of who we are. In Jesus. And so I want us to think about this this morning and why it's so important. And so I'm going to make the statement that kind of stands over everything we're going to look at. I want you just to consider this for a second. And it's very simply that walking closely with Jesus, seeking to be a disciple of Christ, walking closely with him means that we will be growing in humility. If you're walking closely with Jesus and there's no humility in your life, those things are incompatible. To be seeing him for who he is and what he's done for us, it's going to uh, grow in us a humility. We're going to be growing in humility as we walk with him. And so here's the way I want us to consider the last of this passage and, and what it's saying here. First, why is pride so detrimental? Secondly, how are we rescued from it? And then thirdly, why humility is such a key in our growth, right? So why pride is so detrimental, how we're rescued and why humility is such a key. And so let's start with why pride is so detrimental. If you want to read with me, look at the beginning of what Paul says here. Chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so Paul starts here right away with this idea of pride, of our boasting, 
of our seeking to justify ourselves by what we do, bragging about our accomplishments, the need to say, hey, look at me and I I do this and I do this pretty well and constantly trying to put forth our resume. And he says, as you come to understand the gospel, this is the opposite of what the gospel is. It's excluded, this idea of boasting, of making it all about you, of putting forth what your works. Because everything he's been building to in this letter up to this point is showing us that we can never, ever justify ourselves by what we do. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. He says it in verse 23, right before it. Or if we go back to verse 20, no one will be justified by God, uh, before God in his sight by our works. None of us can do that. And then here he comes back to, to say in, in verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so he reiterates that. And he says, boasting, being arrogant, being prideful about what you do is completely excluded because you're saved by faith. And that faith is not in what you do, but it's in what God has done for you precisely because you can't do it. And so you are justified, which means to be made righteous, good with God, and it's by faith apart from works. And this has been the whole theme leading to this point. And so when you start to get your identity from our doing versus what God has done, which leads us to boasting and making it look at what I've done, we've gotten it exactly backwards. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for you. And so when we're boasting about what we've done, we're, we're missing that. We can't be doing both at the same time. You can't be say, looking at me, look at me and look at my accomplishments and at the same time be saying that everything I am is by grace through faith in what Jesus has done for me. And so it's detrimental because it goes to the very, it's the very opposite of the heart of the gospel that we proclaim. And so we get it exactly backwards when we start to operate that way. Boasting about what I do. Well, it's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus has done. And when we begin to do that, there's a spiritual blindness. There's a distortion that places me at the center. That's the heart of my sinfulness. Places me as the center, as as the center of all things. And that's not true. God is the center of all things, and it's by grace through faith that he saved you. And when I miss that, I get it all backwards. And so consider practically what happens when we do that. Look at verses 28 and 29 and 30. He says, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. And so he says in both, uh, it doesn't matter your background. Because notice here he says, is he God of the Gentiles also? He's not just the God of the Jews. He's not just the God of this group of people. He's the God of all people and all people are saved the same way. And remember, there were some that were struggling with this. Paul was dealing with this often in his ministry, this idea that you're saved by your religious resume or your ethnicity or your background or how much knowledge you had or the way you came up in these things. And he's saying, no, 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 it's not those things. None of those things can save you. Anyone who comes to faith, anyone who has a right relationship with God is justified by grace, that is getting what you don't deserve as a gift 
And so that picture there is he keeps pointing us back to it. He says, if you understand that, that you are completely and totally saved by grace because you never can do enough to earn your salvation, and that's true of every one of us, there's no place for you to boast. None. And when we subtly shift it to being about my works and what I can do, I can easily miss this. And and I'll tell you, there's there's maybe even a, a more Christian version of it. It sounds kind of like grace. And it's kind of grace. And it's kind of part of that. But the truth is, if it's just kind of grace, then it's not grace. Because grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's completely a gift. What God has done for you. But when you miss part of it, you miss it completely. And so what I mean by this is sometimes people say, yes, I'm saved by works. It is is by grace through faith. But kind of in the back of our mind, we hold on to this idea that we believe that God didn't have to work as hard to save me. Because I'm a pretty good person. Yes, I need grace because I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. I'm saved by grace, but yes, I still have a few things to boast about. But if that is the case, and that's what we're holding on to, we're not fully resting in the grace of God and what he's done for us. And so Paul says this over and over. No one will ever be righteous by what they do. And he says it, and he builds that case. Jew, Gentile, all of us, whether you grew up religious or non-religious, whether you were seeking God uh, through pagan religions or through the way he had revealed himself to the Jews or whatever it may be, none of us will ever be righteous in his sight by what we do. And we came so clearly to this. And he brings us and he builds this case and he gets to what we looked at last week, that we are only ever justified by what God does for us. That we are only ever made righteous. And so the only, we are only ever made righteous by Jesus' gift and what he has done. That by Jesus taking our sin, taking our sin upon himself, dying and paying our debt, and then giving us, by grace through faith, his righteousness. It's the only way for every single person, no matter their background, to be in a right relationship with God. It's only through Jesus' life, atoning death, and resurrection that any of us can be saved. Only by grace. And so Jesus pays the whole debt. And here's the thing. It's not like a 90-10. God does 90% and I do 10 or 80-20 or 99-1%. It's all his doing. And when we miss that, or we start to think it's the 99 and 1%, or it's 90-10, then we start to boast in our works, and our pride starts to sneak up. And we start to not truly trust that it's all God's grace. I'll give you an example. How many of you remember the name uh, Jeffrey Dahmer and who he was? Do you remember that name? This may be one of the most horrific serial killers to ever live. I remember being in high school uh, when Dahmer was caught and reading a long form article in a magazine about him and they caught him and what he had done. And it was so awful and it was so haunting what he did and the depths of depravity and sinfulness and the evil that was there. But shortly before his death, uh, which happened when Dahmer was in jail, he was caught and convicted and went to jail. The story goes that Dahmer had become a Christian in his last year in jail. Now, I'm I'm assuming his faith was genuine. I don't know all the details. But I just want to ask the question, how do you feel about that? When you hear this man, the serial killer that did so many awful, horrible things, that he becomes a believer, 
and that now God sees him as he sees Jesus. He applies to Jeffrey Dahmer all of Jesus's work and he sees him as completely righteous. How do you feel when you hear that? I've had this discussion with many people through the years. And I'll be honest, if you know the horror of what this man did, it's one of the toughest test cases and it's very difficult to wrestle with. But again, I ask the question, how do you feel? I've had people say to me, well, if Jeffrey Dahmer gets to go to heaven, then I'm okay for sure. Or I've had people say to me, uh, there's no way God allows Jeffrey Dahmer into heaven. There's no way God could do that. Now, is that true? Is either one of those correct? I mean, if he gets in, then for sure I'm getting in. Right? That's the way we often would think in our heart's default. Or is the opposite true? That God would never do that because God's a God of justice and he wouldn't do that. And the answer is no, because both of those are saying your works or what you do are at least part of what saves you. And both in part are saying it's based on comparisons It's based on not trusting that it's fully the grace of God, but that's only part of the equation. Both are not placing Jesus as the sole reason as to why we can be saved. And when we do that, we're missing what Paul is saying here in Romans. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that in Christ that is in Christ Jesus, for whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We are all sinners deserving God's wrath. We all cannot do it, whether it's me or it's you or it's Jeffrey Dahmer. We've all fallen short. And the only way we can be saved is by his grace as a gift. grace is a gift. It's not 90% grace is a gift and the rest is up to me. And so it's the warning that Paul gives in chapter 1 when he says, professing to be wise, they became fools and worshiped the creation rather than the creator. That when when our pride wells up in us and we think it's all about us and we go down this road and it begins to color the way we see the Bible and the church and religion, God's just giving me some information of some things I do. And then if I do them well enough, he'll accept me. And now I have something to boast about. He says, that's not the way it works. The Bible's not about you. It's the story about who God is and the way he pursues us and redeems us and justifies us. And it's all by his grace through a gift. And as soon as we start to boast, as soon as we start to make it about what we do, as soon as we start to see it as about me We are at odds with the heart of the gospel. And when that happens, we see everything from this upside down perspective and we operate in a spiritual distortion that places me at the center and what I do that leads to this boasting. And so I want you just to stop and think for a moment, search your heart, ask God to show you the areas that you're not resting on his grace. If you're hearing that Jeffrey Dahmer can be saved and you're offended and you're outraged, or you say, I don't believe that, then you're not fully resting in God's grace to you. You've missed that the only way that we're saved is completely and totally by grace. Through faith is a gift. And as long as we miss that, there's now a foothold, a back door in your understanding to boasting. 
And it's so easy to slip into that and to begin to see everything from that lens about what I do rather than what God has done. And we fight this all the time. It's constant. Uh, it's a constant temptation. Worship can subtly shift about being me and what I do, right? I, I go to church uh, to gather with the church on a Sunday. I go to a worship gathering because that's what a good Christian does. Well, who is the center of that? If I'm operating that way, The center of that is me, the good Christian. Rather than going to worship the God of the universe that loves me and redeemed me and has saved me, I I see it as all about me, right? I get to go gather with my family of faith as we have been saved and redeemed by grace and we get to gather together and worship our Redeemer. It's not about me. It's not about my resume. It's about God and what he's done. The same thing can happen. I I can go to do a Bible study and I undertake a Bible study so that I have the right answer and I can grow in my knowledge because this is what a good Christian does. And then I can tell you the right things rather than I spend time in God's word to grow in my love for him and my relationship with him. Those are two vastly different things. One has me at the center and my resume and my boasting And the other is all about God and what he's done. The same thing can happen when I serve others. I can do that so that I feel good about myself. So I can pat myself on my back so people can see me doing it. Can kind of pad my resume to look at what I'm doing. Instead of I get to do this out of who I am in Christ. And I get to show what he is like and I get to glorify him in the way I love and serve other people. Do you see the difference? But I want to remind all of us here, there's a warning in what Paul says. And he says here, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? He's going to save us all the same way. There's only one way to come to him. And we must cling to the truth of who we are, which is we are all justified by our faith. You know, our sinfulness sometimes is subtle. Uh, not always. Sometimes it's big and it's ugly and it's apparent, but sometimes our heart is very deceptive and it's ever so subtle. You know, I'll give you these different examples. The deceitfulness of my heart that I can slip into. I can make Sunday morning about what I'm doing as a good Christian person and I make it about me or the serving or whatever it is. But the deceitfulness of our heart, that the pride that is so destructive, that's always ever present, that boasting, so easily can slip in. I can say, well, I'm really glad I don't do, I don't go to worship for that reason. Or I'm really glad I don't do Bible study for that reason. I do it to really seek the Lord. And I'm glad I'm not like those people who do do it for those bad reasons. And now I'm boasting again. But the truth is, anything good that I do is by God's grace. Him being formed in me, the spirit working in me. It's not me, but him. And so it becomes so destructive, our boasting, pride, arrogance. So how are we rescued from this? Go back to 27 and 28. What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Uh, What kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that we are justified apart from works of the law. And so the first thing, and I'll be short on this is you have to see yourself correctly. Remind how you were saved by faith and what God has done for for you. And in order to see that, 
You have to see yourself correctly. You cannot ever do any good works, anything truly good in and of yourself apart from God's grace in your life. You, apart from the work of Christ in your life through the Holy Spirit, will never please God. We will always be operating from a lie that you can save yourself. So in order to see God's grace and be reminded that it's all his doing, you must see that you cannot do it. Boasting, pride, arrogance are all given birth out of forgetting that we cannot do it. And so the first part there of how we're rescued from this is simply to see that we cannot do it on our own. And when we start to boast, we're forgetting that. And it's so important that we hold to that. And so first what Paul is saying, and it's the whole thing that he's built in the first part of this letter, is none of us can save ourselves. None of us is righteous. No, not one. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that is good. That it has to be the work of God by his grace to truly be pleasing to him and glorifying to him. We have to be rescued from ourselves. And so that's the first part. But as we begin to see that in the second part, the second side of that, as we see that we cannot do it, as this is present before us, our inadequacy to ever make ourselves righteous, it opens the door to truly receive grace. The only hope we have is the grace of God. The good news here, though, is that God is incredibly gracious and he goes to great lengths to save us, to give us not what we deserve. He goes to great lengths to to pursue us and to love us and to bring us back into this relationship. And here we see the very heart of the gospel that reveals our identity in Christ, that we are grace-bought people and it's completely by his grace. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. Maybe you've said it before. But by the grace of God go I. Have you ever said that? Have you ever heard someone say that? What we're saying is that I am who I am and all of that is owed to God's grace in my life. And if it were not for God's grace, I would be a mess. And oftentimes that, that phrase is, is used in the setting uh, when we're tempted to look down on someone else. And God reminds you that the person uh, you want to look down on is just like you, except for the grace of God in your life. Anything good that happens in your life that truly pleases God is by his grace to you. We all stand by grace. And it's only when I forget this that I can slip into boasting. Jesus illustrates this perfectly. In Matthew chapter 18, tells a story of what the scriptures refer to, what we often title the, the unforgiving servant. If you know the story, you don't have to turn there. You can read it later. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. Verse 23 and following. But in the story, a servant owes a great debt. And the way Jesus tells the story is the man owes his master of debt of 10,000 talents, which is an enormous sum of money. It's like if you took all the earning that you will, all the money that you will earn in your lifetime and multiplied it times a hundred. So that kind of gets you in the ballpark. And so let's just say millions of dollars. Just for sake of illustration, let's say five million dollars. And so Jesus says this master demands the payment, the debt of this man. And since he cannot pay it, he, he doesn't have the five million dollars. He cannot even come close to paying it. He and his whole family are going to be sold to be indentured servants. But as Jesus tells the story, the man begs and pleads, please have patience with me. I will pay it back. 
So the master has pity on him and he allows him to go. And so the man leaves and he walks out of the present of this man that he owes the money to. And he comes across a man who owes money to him. And in this case, he owes him a day's wage. So let's say $5 million that he owes his master and this man owes him $100. And he starts to choke him and he starts to demand that he pays what he owes. And the man could not pay him. And so he had him thrown in jail. Now, some who were present see this happening and they go and they tell the master because they're frustrated at this man's hypocrisy. And Jesus says, when the master heard this, he threw him in jail and said, should not you have shown mercy on your fellow mercy on your fellow servant as I had shown mercy to you? It's a biblical principle we see over and over. We are called to extend the grace that we have received. How quickly he had forgotten that it was by grace that he had been freed. That his master had let him go even though he didn't deserve to be let go. And Jesus ends the story with this. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart, the father will do the same to you. And I want you to consider this. If we stand by God's grace and his grace alone, how can we not be gracious to others? And how can we ever boast in our doing? See, when we get what Paul's saying here and what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 18, it cuts off all of look at me or I'm glad I'm not like them or I'm thankful I'm not that bad or look at my good works or those people are so wrong or I can't believe how dumb they are. So are you but the grace of God. And as soon as you start to boast, and as soon as you start to look down, it started, as soon as you start to think it's something in you that you have accomplished or you are done, we're like this unforgiving servant. We're, we're missing everything that Paul is saying here. What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded because we are saved by grace through faith. We desperately need God's grace each and every day, every one of us. And so the very last part here, why growing in humility is so key. And I'll be brief. This could be its own sermon, its own series of sermons, because it's so central to our growth, our sanctification, growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life. But it's the theme of this book of Romans, and it's the summary statement that I keep coming back to. We've said this uh, just about every week. Paul says right at the middle of chapter one, and it kind of serves over the whole of this book. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. We are saved by the goodness of what God has done. We are saved by grace. God not giving us what we deserve. Thanks be to God that that is the case. But our entire growth, our joy, our ability to rest, all holds together in God's grace to us, all of it. To experience the love of God, to know our identity and our worth, having the ability to lay down our striving and our boasting, the, the, the desire to seek to validate ourselves, to compare ourselves, the things that we're clinging to has to come under the heading of God's grace and what he's done for us. That all that I am is by grace. And that's radically humbling. Yet in doing so, and we come to that, and we come to grips with that, that it's all God's doing and it's all him and I'm going to rest in that. 
And we see it over and over again. God is faithful in that. And when you embrace your need and Jesus alone meets it, he meets you there. And it's there in the midst of your knowing that you cannot do it, that God empowers and changes you because you see more and more clearly it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit and nothing else. That's all his doing. And as we confess that we cannot do it, Jesus meets us in the middle of that. And he begins to change us from one degree of glory to another, not because you can do it, but because he's doing it in and through you. And as you confess, you can't do it. You cling to him more in faith and that grace changes you. We're not only saved by grace, but we're sanctified by grace. And so in our humility to clinging to him is where we grow and where he meets us in that. To be walking with Jesus closely with Jesus, growing in in and with him is to be growing in humility. So let's pray. God, we pray that you would spark in us a deep humility. You would continue to show us our great need for, for you. I pray that it would lead us to a place of just humble submission and everything, clinging desperately to you, that you are alone the one that saves us. You are alone the one that changes us. You are the one that will bring us to the end, that it's all by your doing. And so show us this afresh today. Make us people that are deeply humble, that cling to you for all things, that see the entirety of our identity in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.